Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Give your Bibles this morning and open them to the book of Jude. We're going to be in verses 5 through 11. The book of Jude, verses 5 through 11. Thank you, James. Thank you to our praise team, our instrumentalists. Well, good morning and again, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. We are very grateful for you and we honor you today. And I want to encourage all of you, uh, make the time today to tell your mom that you love her, that you're thankful for her. As for us at this time, we're going to continue on in our series through the book of Jude. We are in the third sermon of a five-part series. And to introduce today's topic, I want to tell you about it just a, a little meaningless, really, observation I made this week. Uh, One afternoon while I was out and about doing some visits, I stepped inside a convenience store for a cold, refreshing Diet Coke. I know that comes as a shock to many of you. I, I like Diet Coke. But on my way out of that store, as I was exiting, I noticed that there was a vertical strip of numbers on the door frame. Why are those there? I thought, and then I recalled those numbers are there to measure a person's height and inches. So if the store is robbed... As the thief leaves the store, the security camera will capture his height and use that information to help develop a profile. In fact, anytime a crime is committed, one of the first things the police do is try to develop a profile of the perpetrator. Sometimes a psychological profile, but more commonly just a physical profile. They want to know height and weight and gender and race, etc. Why is that important? Well, it's important so they can release that information to the public So that A, the public can identify that person and stay away from them if they see them, but also B, so the public can contact the proper authorities and hopefully have the criminal apprehended. Once that profile is developed, they can put it on the news, they can put it on social media, they can make posters to hang at the post office. Do they still do that? I haven't been in the post office in a long time. I'm serious. Are there still posters at the post office? Okay. However they do it, they can get the information out there. So in summary, by developing and publicizing a profile of the perpetrator, law enforcement can do a much better job of keeping the public safe. Now, what does all of that have to do with the book of Jude? In many ways, the book of Jude is a biblical equivalent of a wanted poster. The book of Jude, especially the verses that we're going to look at today and next Sunday, serve as a profile of apostates, a profile of false teachers. Now you might ask, why is there a book of the Bible completely dedicated just to this purpose? Well, I think one answer to that is so that we who are members of the body of Christ can identify these false teachers and mark them and stay away from them and not give them a platform to spread false doctrine that is contrary to God's word and denies the lordship of Jesus Christ. The title of this morning's sermon is The Profile of an Apostate. This morning's sermon will be part one. Next week will be part two. In these two sermons, we're going to take a look at how Jude describes how he develops a profile of false teachers in the church. And my prayer is that God will use these sermons not to make us heresy hunters, turning into hypercritics, seeing an apostate behind every bush, but rather that we might be mature, discerning Christians, measuring all things against the word of God and earnestly contending for the faith 
once for all delivered to the saints. Let's begin looking now at the profile of an apostate by reading verses five through seven. In these verses, Jude uses three examples from the Old Testament to help us better understand the nature and behavior of false teachers. Let's read. But I want to remind you, he says, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We'll stop there. As we said, in developing the profile of an apostate, Jude draws on three examples from the Old Testament. So let's just look at these in order. First, In verse five, he uses the example of the Israelites in the wilderness during the exodus from Egypt. If you recall, there came a point in the Israelites wandering through the wilderness that they reached the cusp or the border of the promised land. At that time, they sent in 12 spies to spy out the land and its inhabitants and bring a report back to the people. The spies reported back wonderful things about the land. The land is flowing with milk and honey. The grapes are so big that one cluster, just one cluster has to be carried on a pole by two men because it's so heavy. But they also reported that the cities were well fortified and the people, they said, are giants. They said, we're like grasshoppers compared to these people. Of the 12 spies who went into the land, only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, guys, God is with us. We can take the land with his help. All the other spies, the Bible says, gave a bad report. They said, there's no way we can do this. We are doomed. In the end, the people were persuaded by the bad report. The Bible says they began to complain against God, speaking evil against him and against the leaders he had appointed for them, Moses and Aaron. And the people began to say things like, if only we had died in Egypt, or why didn't we just die in the wilderness? Why did the Lord bring us all the way here just to fall by the sword? It'd be better for us to go back to Egypt. And they actually started making plans to do exactly that. This made God extremely angry with the people. And he decreed at that time that no one of that generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, would be allowed to see the promised land. Their kids and their grandkids would go in later, but they themselves would die in the wilderness. This is what verse five refers to when it says that God destroyed those who did not believe. We'll discuss in a moment how that ties in to the apostates of Jude's day. But for now, let's look at the second example from the Old Testament used by Jude to describe false teachers. We find it in verse six, where Jude references fallen angels. When Jude talks about angels who did not keep their proper domain, He is talking about angels who sided with Satan when he rebelled against God in eternity past. We read about this rebellion in Isaiah chapter 14 and in Ezekiel chapter 28. We know at one time from these passages that Satan was an angel in heaven named Lucifer. He was a very beautiful angel. The Bible says that his beauty caused pride in his heart. 
He sought to exalt himself above God. And as a result of his treason, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. And a third of the angels went with him. Revelation 12 speaks to that. Verse 6 says, they left their own abode. These fallen angels are no longer in their proper domain, which is heaven. Many of them now roam the earth doing Satan's bidding. We know them as demons. Others of them, according to verse 6, have been chained in the darkness of hell until the day of judgment. Why some fallen angels are free at this time and others are chained, we do not know. What we do know, according to scripture, is that one day the devil and all of his minions will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. The question we need to ask for today's purposes is why does Jude use these fallen angels as an example of apostates? And again, we'll come back to that in just a moment. The third example from the Old Testament used here by Jude to describe the false teacher of his, excuse me, the false teachers of his day is that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of us are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, ancient cities that have become synonymous with sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality, as the men of that city violently attempted to molest the messengers of God. This is what it means in verse 7 when it says that the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah went after strange flesh, quote unquote. That is to say their desire was for those of the same sex. As a result of their sin, verse 7 says that these cities were made an example by God, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Indeed, we know from Genesis 19 that the Lord rained brimstone and fire on those cities, destroying them for their great wickedness. Now, I want to take a step back for just a moment and consider once again the broader context of our passage what is Jude trying to accomplish by bringing up these things, by bringing up these three examples from the Old Testament? Here's what he's doing. He's using illustrations that his readers would be familiar with to develop a profile of the nature and behavior of apostates, the nature and behavior of false teachers. But to this point, he still hasn't quite connected the dots for us what exactly is it about those illustrations that depict false teachers? Why did he use those specific ones? Well, the next verse, verse 8, is going to connect those dots for us. It's going to shed some light on it for us. So let's read now verse 8. So he says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. We'll pause there. As we look at verse 8, the first word there is likewise. That's a connecting word. Jude is telling his readers, I'm making a connection for you now, and here it is. The false teachers in your church are just like these three examples I've just given you from the Old Testament, and here's how. He lists three things there. They defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Now, we're going to kind of further connect those dots and explain those characteristics in just a moment. But before we do, I want you to see one other thing that Jude says about these false teachers. In verse 8, he calls them dreamers. 
Now, it's obvious in the way that Jude uses this word. He's not using it as a compliment. He's not saying that they dream big or they set their sights high. Rather, he's poking fun at them because apparently they often refer to dreams or visions that God has given them as the basis of their teaching. May I just say one thing right here? This is a common tactic of false teachers to persuade people to get them to do what they want them to do. They will often say, God has told me in a dream or God has told me in a vision that you, that we, that our church needs to do this certain thing. And oftentimes, as chance would have it, it's something that benefits the false teacher directly. And we need to be very wary of those who claim to have received dreams or visions from God. That is not to say that God cannot work that way if he so chooses. God can do whatever he wants. However, one thing we do know is that God will never lead us or ask us to do anything that contradicts his word, the Holy Scripture. If he does give someone a dream or a vision, it will confirm his word and it will be in accordance with what the Bible says. May I tell on myself for just a moment? One of my vices is I like to listen to Dateline NBC podcasts. I listened to one recently that was about a church. It was very interesting, a false teacher who actually convinced a lady to have a physical relationship with him, a married lady who knew better, who was a mature Christian by telling her that he had had a dream from God telling him that they needed to do that. And so she said, well, who am I to question God? Who am I to question the man of God? That's an extreme example, but you see how false teachers can use that line of reasoning to get people to do what they want them to do. And so again, this underscores for us the importance of measuring all things, all teaching, all preaching against the word of God. We must contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That faith is contained in this book. God's word does not change, not even for dreams or visions. It is settled once and for all. So with that being said, I want to turn our attention now to the three characteristics or actions that are listed out there in verse 8. Because what we're going to find is that these three actions of false teachers correlate to the three examples given in verses 5 through 7. So here is where Jude connects the dots for us. For example, when Jude says that the apostates in their church defile the flesh, that correlates to the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just as the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah were sexually immoral, false teachers today are often involved in sexual immorality and lead their followers to practice sexual immorality as well. For instance... If you know anything about the history of cults, there never was a cult leader who practiced biblical sexuality. Leaders of cults always have multiple spouses, multiple partners, oftentimes taking advantage of minors, practicing all forms of sexual perversion. But it's not just cult leaders. It's not always that obvious. All around us are false churches, with false teachers who tell people that it's okay to practice sexuality outside of God's design, which, 
as we know, is one man and one woman united in marriage, faithful to one another for life. But we have false churches and false teachers who tell people, as we said last week, it's okay to be gay, it's okay to be bi, it's okay to be trans, it's okay to live with people before marriage, it's okay to have multiple partners, all of these things. And yet all of these things the Bible tells us are sin. All of these things the Bible tells us defile the flesh. And yet they're normalized and even promoted and encouraged by false teachers. Bottom line, one of the biggest red flags that you're dealing with a false teacher is that they do not practice nor preach a biblical sexual ethic. And any man who defiles his flesh through sexual immorality or encourages others to do so is a false teacher and an apostate every time. Next, Jude says that the MO of apostates or false teachers is also that they reject authority. Now, to be certain, they want you to heed their authority, which oftentimes is unchecked, but they themselves reject God's authority. What does this correlate to in the Old Testament examples that Jude gave us? Well, it correlates to the fallen angels who rejected God's authority when they chose to defect and to follow Satan. Just like the fallen angels made a decision to reject the authority of God by siding with Lucifer, false teachers today reject God's authority, aligning themselves with the evil one. Now, granted, they may not be as obvious as obvious in doing so, but if you listen to the content of their teaching and examine the fruit of their life, that is indeed what they are doing. Oftentimes, false teachers use the same strategy of Satan in the garden, when he asked Eve, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree? False teachers reject God's authority by undermining the authority of his word. False teachers often seek to explain or rationalize away clear biblical teaching on the moral issues of our day. In essence, posing the question, did God really say we can't do this? Beware those teachers who through cunning craftiness and verbal gymnastics reject the clear teaching and thus the authority of God's word. The third action Jude says in verse eight that describes false teachers is that they speak evil of dignitaries or the literal rendering there, they speak evil of glories. Many commentators believe this means that false teachers speak arrogantly of supernatural beings. This correlates to what Jude says there in verse eight about, or excuse me, what he says there in verse five about the people of Israel speaking out, speaking evil against God. But let's just back up for just a moment because whether speaking of good or evil beings, either one, there needs to be a certain level of humility on our part, recognizing that we are mere mortals, we're to have a holy fear of God and a healthy respect for the enemy, recognizing that he's far more powerful than we and would tear us to pieces in short order were it not for God's protection. And so again, to connect this concept to the Old Testament examples given by Jude, think about those Israelites in the wilderness at the border of the promised land. 
complaining about God, saying they would have been far better off had they never left Egypt. Likewise, false teachers tend to be very disrespectful and blasphemous in their comments toward God. They also tend to be very flippant in their attitude toward the devil. Jude addresses this latter attitude further in verses 9 and 10. I want you to read these verses with me. Very fascinating verses. It says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, and these things they corrupt themselves. So verse 9 refers to an incident that is not recorded in our Bible. Nevertheless, it is an incident that apparently took place or else the Holy Spirit would not have inspired Jude to reference it. It appears that when Moses died way back in the Old Testament, that there was a dispute over his body. The devil wanted the body of Moses, yet Michael, the great archangel of God, the commander of heaven's armies, would not let the devil have it. The reason Jude brings this up is because even Michael, the most powerful angel in heaven, did not dare to rebuke Satan directly, but rather he said in verse 9, the Lord rebuke you. The point is that if Michael, again, the great warrior angel, if Michael has a healthy respect for the enemy, and doesn't go all tough guy, who do we think we are to boast things like, oh, I'm, you ever heard someone say, I'm going to kick Satan's rear end or something like that. The point is that that kind of talk, whether it's criticism directed toward God as with the Israelites or trash talk directed toward the devil, smacks of spiritual immaturity and really a lack of understanding of how small and weak we really are. This is what it means when verse 10 says that false teachers speak evil of what they don't know. And it says what they do know, they use to corrupt themselves. As we said last week, they are both ignorant and arrogant, which is a very dangerous combination. Well, to finish up this section of the letter, in verse 11, Jude gives three more examples from the Old Testament to help fill out the profile of an apostate. So let's read that verse now. This will be our last verse this morning. Woe to them. He's saying, woe to these false teachers, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Well, what are apostates like? Let's review what he just said. Number one, they've gone in the way of Cain. Now, Cain, of course, is best known for murdering his brother, and a jealous rage. But what led up to that in the first place? Cain brought an offering that was not acceptable to God. Cain had a form of godliness, but he denied the power thereof. He practiced religion, but his religion was not pleasing unto God. And so it is with false teachers. They put on a good show of religion, but God does not accept them, nor does he accept their offering, for it is not given from a genuine heart of faith. Second, Jude says false teachers run greedily in the error of Balaam. Balaam was a man in the Old Testament who practiced sorcery, and he was paid by Israel's enemy to curse the people of God. 
in like manner, false teachers are often driven by money. They are not shepherds who genuinely care about the sheep, but rather they are hirelings who are merely in it for a paycheck. And even that oftentimes through ill-begotten means. The Bible says that the laborer is worthy of his wages. That is to be certain. But beware the man who is obsessed with money. Anybody ever watch TBN? Beware the man who is obsessed with money. This is a red flag of an apostate. Third, Jude says false teachers perish in the rebellion of Korah. Korah was a man in the Old Testament who got people riled up against Moses and Aaron and basically tried to start a coup against them. God did not take kindly to this at all and caused the earth to open up and swallow Korah and his family and his associates. Similarly, false teachers today, in order to elevate themselves, will often work subversively to attack and undermine the leadership that God has placed in a church. Anytime you have a person in the church clandestinely working to turn people against their pastors, their leaders, this should be a huge red flag that they are a false teacher, that they are an apostate. Of course, there are legitimate reasons to remove a pastor or leader if they have disqualified themselves morally or are teaching false doctrine. As we've said many, many times, no leader is above accountability. But this accountability should always be done in the open and in the light of day. It should not be a rebellion that forms in the dark. Beware those who desire to lead a movement such as this. As we bring this message to a close today, Jude has laid out for us several things in this text to help us identify apostates, false teachers in the church. In doing so, he's used multiple examples from the Old Testament. Ideally, by this point, that profile that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon is starting to take shape in your mind. Just like we could recognize a bank robber by the description given on the news. Hopefully, we could recognize a false teacher by the description that Jude gives us in these verses. Next week, Jude will continue to build on this profile and we'll learn even more things to help us identify false teachers. Now, if you're like me, after going through these verses, you almost feel like you need a shower. It's not always fun to focus on the negative side of things, but at times it is necessary. Nevertheless, I want to end today on a positive note because while we do live in a fallen world and while there are plenty of false teachers out there and while people will let us down and people will disappoint us, I want to tell you today, there is one who will never deceive us. There is one who will never let us down. There is one who will never lead us astray. He is the good shepherd. He is the way and the truth and the life. His name is Jesus. And you can trust him completely. This is his church. We are his people. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you to receive him as your Lord and Savior. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you'll turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, he will save you and he will give you eternal life.